busy battles and work and career and all those type things, one of the things that we sometimes forget is, is that God desires to have that time with us. And so when we do set aside that time for God, we want to be able to, to do it in a productive way, in a way that's uh, uh, you know, pleasing that we can get under wisdom and understanding, okay? So uh, on last week, we talked about uh, the second step was uh, interpretation. When we get to the Bible, the first thing we said we got to do is what? Observation. That was the first step. Y'all remember observation? And we took different passages of Scripture and did some ob observation. After observing, we begin to interpret. And, and tonight, we're going to talk about the third step uh, for our strategy in world time is correlation. Okay, everybody say correlation. Amen. And so uh, and the, the correlation is comparing one scripture with other scriptures, precept upon precept, line upon line, as the Bible says, in order to amplify our understanding of what the Bible is actually teaching. Have you ever went to a passage of scripture and you were perplexed about what does this actually mean? Um, and, 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 and that happens in we do know and we do understand that God wants us to know what the Bible means because he gave it. He inspired men to write it so that we could get understanding about him because he reveals himself through his word, right? Uh, we know and we quote it all the time. Y'all can, can go along with me. It says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among men, Okay. So that's speaking of Jesus Christ himself. He was in the beginning, but wasn't anything created without him creating it. And then he became human flesh. He poured out himself into human flesh so that he could redeem human flesh from their sins. Okay, that's what God decided to do for us. And so that is an awesome thing that we're going to celebrate Sunday because he rose from the grave. And that resurrection from the grave gave you and I an opportunity to be in personal relationship with God. So the God who created the heavens and earth, think about this for a second. He desires to commune with us. He desires to talk with us. He desires to spend time with us. What an awesome privilege that is. And so many times I don't think we really think about how, how much of a, a, a privilege that is to be able to spend time with God. So when we do spend time with them, let's let, let's let it be productive time, time that actually we can glean from and God can pour into our life. Now, in your outline, we talk about the fact that serious Bible students take the time to compare one scripture with others. Uh, and this discipline will guard us from falling into error as we attempt to gain a more thorough understanding of the truth. For example, let's go to Matthew, the sixth chapter, verse number five through seven, right quick. Let's read that and we'll look at our scripture references and we'll move on down and hit some of these points here and we're going to let you go to house. Matthew, the sixth chapter, verses five through seven. Matthew, chapter six, verses five through seven. And the text says here, and we'll read it from the New Living Translation. It says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. The text goes on and says, I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. What is that reward? People send them on the street corner and say, ooh, that's a nice prayer. He sure can pray. Ooh, when he pray, the church just gets on fire. 
You know, we do those kind of things, and we start measuring and we start judging the uh, the, the veracity and the and the effectiveness of people's prayers based on how it sounds and how a person sounds. Don't mean that they even connect them with God. And and these Pharisees, these Pharisees, these these hypocrites, hypocritical guys, they would get out on the street corners and look all pious. The guy that was praying, you know, and talking about, I'm, I'm glad I'm not like this guy over here, you know. I tithe, I do all these other things, but his heart wasn't right. Okay, so look at the next verse. Let's read. It says what? Uh, but when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray uh, to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. Verse number seven, can we read together? It says what? When you pray, don't babble on. Watch this. Don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. You know what? One of the things that's freed me, and, I, and, I, and I, I pray that it frees you, you don't have to pray like everybody else. But you want to pray, you want to pray biblically. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up as a young man, I had a, a tremendous fear of praying in public. And the reason why was I couldn't make it do like some of the deacons you could make it do. <laughs> They could make it do what it do. <laughs> I mean, and, and so they had these prayers that, that were, and, and sometimes you could actually repeat those prayers because you knew the words that they were going to say. And I'm, again, I'm not questioning the sincerity of what they were doing, but after a period of time, it became sort of a routine. And they would, they would certain people would be called to pray because at revival time, they could shake the house. But see, I, I couldn't, you know, I, when I learned that prayer is not about how people think about what I'm saying, prayers about the genuineness and sincerity and the, uh, the authenticity of what I'm saying. And then prayers about me praying according to God's will and not according to what I've heard up through the years that, that tickles people's fancy. Are you listening to me? So what, what, what Jesus told us is when you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. And just because you pray long don't mean you're praying right. It doesn't mean that your prayer is getting through. Let's skip over uh, to uh, James, the fourth chapter, okay? James chapter four, verse three. This is just some, some tidbits uh, that we need to see as we look at this thing about searching the scripture and let scripture interpret scripture. The Bible also says something else about prayer over in James, the fourth chapter. It says, and even when you, let's, let's back up to verse number one. I like verse number one. We'll, we'll work our way on down. Y'all still with me? Strategy for word time. So we're going to talk about correlation, and we're going to look at some principles that will help us in that correlation process. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you, James says? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Next verse says what? You won't. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Wow. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Now stop right there. If, if, if I stop right there, I would think that just asking God was the, the summation of prayer. That's why you got to use Scripture, to interpret Scripture, and we'll see some other Scriptures that go along with prayer also a little bit later on. But it says, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. 
All right. How many times have we been sitting here and have been thinking that we have a need, but we hadn't prayed about that need? I mean, sincerely prayed about it. Look at the next verse. It says, verse three says what? And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all, all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. So again, sometimes we don't have things because we don't ask for it. But then other times we don't have the things that we ask for because our motivation for asking for is all off, off point. See, God is always about, amen, the heart because he's an inside-out God. Salvation, as I told you all the time, is an inside-out process. So I can be doing the right thing. I can actually continue to be saying the right thing, but if my motivation for doing it and saying it is not right, I still won't get blessed. Are y'all listening to me? So God looks at our hearts, so we got to make sure sometimes we can be praying and, and praying the right thing, but our hearts are not right and we're not praying for the right reason. Our motivations are wrong, so we don't get what we are asking God for. Psalm 66 and 18, look at that right quick. Another, another passage here dealing with prayer. And so one reason why I'm doing this is because uh, if, if, we, if we go into the scripture text and don't realize it is important for us to use of the scripture to help us to interpret scripture. Um, you know, the scripture does tell us that we have need of anything, and I'm paraphrased, just to ask God of it. He gives liberally and upbraideth not especially as it relates to wisdom. But how many of you know that, that you can ask God for something, but if you don't check what you're asking by these other passages, you could build a doctrine on just asking God and he's going to give it to you. And you'll, be, you'll quickly realize that that's not how God works. All right? So look at Psalm 66 and 18 says, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Let's read that from the King James Version of the Scripture. I think it, it really... Uh, brings this, this piece out. It says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. In other words, I can pray. I can pray according to God's will, but if I have sin, unconfessed, unrepentant sin in my heart, then the Lord, amen, will not hear me. When he says hear me, he I, actually, you know God, audibly hears us, but what it says when he doesn't hear us, that means that he's not receiving what we're saying. When he says he doesn't hear me, that means that, that, that he's not in agreement with me. So if I'm going to get any type of prayer answered, Brenda, I got to get God, I got to be in agreement with God because if I'm not in agreement with him, he's not going to give me what I'm asking. I don't care how much I cry. I don't care how much I, 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 uh, 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 you know, wail and lay out at the altar. If I'm not in agreement with God, he's not under any obligation to answer what I'm asking him. Is everybody with me? Okay. So uh, go, go to Philippians, the fourth chapter, verse six and seven. Y'all know these passages, but I want you to see them again. Amen. The Bible is the only perfectly correlated book on earth. Doesn't have any contradiction, even though critics may say that it does. But, but again, I, I would caution you about listening to critics because critics can't understand the word of God because the things of the God are only understood by the spirit of God. So if I don't have the spirit of God operating inside of me, revealing the word of God to me, I ain't going to understand what the word of God says. Okay? And so doing the proper biblical uh, 
uh, exegesis and hermeneutical evaluation will help us to understand that Scripture does not contradict Scripture. Okay? Scripture will enlighten Scripture. The text says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto whom? Under God, right? All right, and it says what else? Uh, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. All right, let's go to the NLT on this very same verse, and let's see how it lays it out for us here, okay? Because all these scriptures we're talking about is prayer. We're talking about prayer, right? Uh, you know, there were, there were those hypocritical Pharisees who stood on the street corner praying all piously, uh, but their heart went in the right place, okay? And there were times when we will pray and we, we, we don't get it because, first of all, we don't ask, and then we do ask, we ask for the wrong reason. And then there's times when we would pray and the answer doesn't come through because we got some stuff in our heart that we hadn't dealt with, right? Have you ever prayed and had some stuff in your heart that you know you hadn't dealt with? Huh? Sinning and still praying. Huh? Sitting and saying, Lord, forgive me. Now, Lord, give me. See, <laughs> when we're in habitual sin, guys, it blocks the flow to God. Yes, God hears us because he's God. He knows everything. But he doesn't hear us like when somebody's talking to you and you're agreeing with you. say, yeah, I hear you. I hear you, brother. That usually means that I'm in agreement with you. But see, when you're praying and there's iniquity in your heart, God said, I don't hear you. I don't hear you. You follow me? He doesn't hear us. In other words, he's not agreeing with us because we hadn't dealt with the iniquity in our hearts. But look what he says. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Verse 7 again. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. Look, at. I love this. Guys, listen to me. I love this passage here. He says, his peace will guard your what? Your heart and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. It's, it's nothing greater in the world, amen, Tiffany, than to have the peace of God guarding your heart and your mind. Because how many of y'all have been through some situations that almost drove you crazy? How many of y'all have been through some situations that your peace was just gone, you couldn't even rest? None of y'all have ever been through something where you didn't have any peace, you, you couldn't sleep well, you, your mind kept racing. Come on, anybody ever been through some stuff? Amen. God ever brought you through some junk, some mess in your life where the enemy came to try to tear you apart because he come to steal, to kill, and destroy, and you felt like it was all over? But see, when you, when you learn how to trust God, the text says, you don't, 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 be careful for nothing. But in everything, the prayer, supplication with thanksgiving, let your peace, let, let your request be made on to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. You can't even understand why you ain't worried. You can't even understand why you ain't all tore up about this thing. But that peace that surpasses all understanding, it'll keep your heart, heart <laughs> and your mind through Christ Jesus. I love that because the devil, th the devil is thinking, I just hit him with my best shot, but he ain't went down. The devil be thinking, you know, I, I, I thought I, I, I sucker punched him and knocked the breath out of him, but he's still smiling. She's still smiling. She hadn't given up. She's still calling on her God. She's still there lifting up holy hands in the sanctuary. She's not giving up. She's still praising God. And I just almost knocked out. 
He can't understand it, and people don't understand it. It's the peace of God. So it's Veronica that passes all understanding. That'll keep your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Now, see, all those facets of prayer are critically important for us to have understanding of. So, so, but in order to do that, we have to look at correlating scripture with scripture. Again, the Bible is without error. And so we got to realize that now I'll tell you what's happening and it's been happening for a period of time within the churches and the world is simple. The world, the world is actually uh, pushed this issue because Satan is, is in the world. He's in the world system where, you know, the Bible uh, used to be uh, revered. How many of y'all remember growing up? If you really want to know whether or not somebody's telling the truth or not, Brittany, you, 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 Y'all be outside. Y'all could be outside playing. And then something come up. Oh, I'm telling the truth. No, you ain't. I'm telling the truth. Well, I'm going to go with the Bible. Put your hand on the Bible say that. And dude wouldn't, dude wouldn't tell the truth. He wouldn't put his hand on that Bible. Come on now. Do y'all remember that? Even if he really didn't know what was in it, he respected it enough to say, I ain't putting my hand on that Bible and tell my, I'm swearing I'm telling the truth. Wouldn't do it. How many of y'all remember those days? Wouldn't do it. No, no. But now, man, people don't. The respect for the word of God has been diminished because the enemy has tried to get us to doubt the integrity of the word of God. And that's what he's always been after. He did it in the Garden of Eden. Y'all know the story. How he told Eve, yea, hath God really said that Eve? Because if you do it, you know, you know if you eat it, you, you're going to be like God. You're going to know the difference between good and evil and then you're going to be just like God. So he, he got her to doubt the integrity of the word. And that's what Satan is after. There are churches here in America today who don't believe in the inerrancy of the word of God. And so as a result, they will challenge things that God's word says. But we, as a body of believers, I believe if EBC is going to get to where God wants us to get to, we got to make sure that we stay true to the word. And as long as Dollar Adams Sr. is passing this church, we're going to stick to the word. We're not going to compromise the word. We're going to love people. We're going, to, we, we, we're going to love sinners. We're not going to throw sinners away. But what we're going to do is, is not compromise the word. If somebody's in sin, yeah, you're in sin, but guess what? We love you, but you're wrong. And we're going to still love you, but we're going to call out your stuff. Just like I would expect you to call out my stuff if you see my stuff. <laughs> Can I get a witness? The word of God is the standard for righteousness in this place. So as we move on down here, what we have in scripture is, think about this for a second, 66 individual uh, parts or books of one perfectly coordinated book written by 40 different human writers with one divine author, the Holy Spirit, who has watched over the preservation and the integration of the biblical text. In other words, all these years, if this word was, was fake and wasn't true, and you got 40 different writers, Brother Leroy, 40 different writers that coalesced around together and wrote, amen, books of the Bible that integrated and told the love story of God toward humankind. And if, if it was not true, you would have thought after all these years, it would have went away. But the Bible is still uh, the number one bestseller in all the world because God's word is true. It is his word and the Holy Spirit guides it and protects it. 
You would have thought if it was, if it was fake, if this was fake news, it would have been burned up. In other words, we would have disregarded. The enemy is trying to get us to do that, but guess what? We know and we understand that God's word stands true today, man. We're going to stand on it and we're going to keep preaching here, okay? So when approaching the biblical text, uh, look at this. Seven things you want to uh, um, uh, keep in mind so that you can stay accurate and true to the text, okay? And these are things that, that we'll share with you and then we'll move on and finish this out, okay? So, so at, when, I'm, when I'm practicing correlation, I, I'll get to that, those things that, that, that help us to correlate the scripture text, but these are some principles that when we're in, in the interpretation and correlation process, we need to keep in mind, okay? And I shared some of these with you guys before. Principle number one, remember that context rules. Everybody say, remember that context rules. The word context means that which goes with the text, amen? And when you interpret anything, a word, a verse, or a teaching, it must always be considered in light of the surrounding verses and chapters, okay? The book in which it's found, and it needs to be interpreted in light of the entire word of God. Do not get caught plucking an obscure verse out of context, and I told you this before, and building a doctrine on it, all right? So context rule, if I'm gonna understand what the word of God is saying, I have to have proper biblical context, okay? Um, you know, when, when, uh, when, when you're looking at scripture text, ask yourself, is my interpretation of a particular section of scripture consistent with the theme, the purpose, and the structure of the book in which it was found? Let's, let's flip over right quick uh, to, if you will, um, let's go to the book of Titus. I'd share from this other night. Y'all heard me preach from this before. Go to the book of Titus right quick. And let's, let's see if we can get some context around what um, Paul says here in this passage. He, Titus chapter number one, and we'll start at verse number one. Get that. Titus. Glory to God. All right. Let's read it. It says, this letter is from Paul, a slave of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ. So first, first and foremost, when I go to this passage of scripture, if I only had nothing, if I didn't have any type of concordance or Bible dictionary, I just had straight Bible. When I, when I go to this letter, the first thing I notice is, who is the author? Paul, right? So we observe in the text, right? Paul is the author. And what does Paul say about himself? He says, he's, I'm a what? Slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. So Paul lets us know what his title is here in earth. He's what? An apostle. He had apostolic authority. He went about establishing churches. That's what apostles did. They went about establishing works of ministry, establishing churches, ordaining church leaders and all that kind of thing. So he's an apostle. All right. A lot of people who call themselves apostles today are not doing apostolic work. They just like the name apostle. Apostles, amen, are about establishing churches. Okay? Establishing a, a family of faith in a particular area so that, that family of faith can grow up and minister in that area. So we see he's, he says, I'm a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I've been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth 
that shows them how to live godly life. That was his assignment. What Paul does right there is does what? He tells us what he's on assignment to do. Let's look at it again. What, what, what does he say? I've been sent to do what? Proclaim faith to those God has chosen. And what else is he on assignment to do? To teach them to know the truth that shows them what? How to live godly life. So Paul says, I'm proclaiming faith to those God has chosen, right? I'm proclaiming faith to those God has chosen, and I'm going to teach them to know the truth. And what will that truth do? That truth will show them how to live godly lives. So if I don't have the truth explained to me, because Paul says he's on assignment to teach that truth so that that truth can show us how to live. Because in of ourselves, God, in our natural upbringing, in, in the places where we're from, we got all kinds of stuff that, that, is, that, that is from our family of origin, from our cultural upbringing, from where we live, where we're growing up, all that stuff affects us today. It has the ability to shape us and mold us if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to do its shaping and molding in our life. Because you know God is the potter, right? And we are what? The clay. We got to let him mold us and shape us according to his will. But a lot of times... The reason why it's tough to mold us and shape us up is because we're still thinking about how we came up. I'm from the quarters. I'm from Cedar Grove. I'm from the subdivision. I'm from old Dump Ground Road. I'm from wherever I'm from. I'm from PD, Leroy. And people from PD may think a certain way. So all that stuff is in us, and it affects how we view life if we don't allow the truth of God's word to begin to come in and transform our mind. Because remember what Paul said in Romans? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed how? By the renewing of your mind, okay? All right? Now watch, again, I've been sent to proclaim. So when you're doing your observation, guys, you need to accept these kind of questions. So Paul says he's a slave of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's been sent to do what? Proclaim faith. And to, to those who chose, God has chosen, and to teach them to know the truth, to Teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live God in life. Look at verse number two. Now watch this. He says, this truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life. The truth, what was that truth that he's teaching going to give them? It's going to give them confidence that they have what? So the, question, the first question I would ask as I'm observing the text is, well, why do they need to have confidence that they really do have eternal life if they've been born again? Well, let me ask you that question. Have you ever need to be reassured that you are really saved? Have you ever done something that made you think, well, if I'm saved, I wouldn't have done that? Can we talk? Have you ever, have you ever just woke up one morning and said, oh, man, I messed up big time. Do I really know the Lord? If I knew the Lord, would I have done that? Am I getting too real with y'all? All right. <laughs> he says, that's why we got to know truth. That's why we got to know that we, we who are born again have been sealed until the day of redemption. I got to have a doctrinal foundational basis because there are going to be some folks who are going to come and tell me, I knew what you did. That means you're not saved. Or you went to that Baptist church and you got baptized. You didn't say in the name of Jesus, so you ain't saved. Or you don't speak in tongues, so you're not saved. And if you don't know and don't have confidence that you have eternal life, then there are people who, who are persuasive arguers and debaters. And they'll make you think that you 
you're wrong for being here. They'll make you think that you really are a black Hebrew Israelite. Hello? Says this truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. So this truth that he's going to teach them, right? Look at the next verse. Now watch this. He says, and now at just the right time, he has revealed this message, which we announce to everyone. It is by the command of God, our Savior, that I've been entrusted with this work for him. Paul is still talking about his assignment. So when you observe in the text and you're doing your interpretation and you're going to use other scriptures to correlate this because you see other passages where Paul talks about some of the similar things, even when he was talking to Timothy. He says, it is by the command of God our Savior that I have been entrusted with this work for him. Look at verse 4. Come on, let's go, guys. I'm, now, look at this. Now, now I'm, as I'm observing the text, I'm trying to interpret, I, I figure out that the guy who he's writing to is who the book is named after. He says, I'm writing to Titus. And now he begins to give us some glimpse into the relationship he had with Titus. My true son in the faith that we share. So it wasn't his biological son, but it was his son in the faith. May God the Father in Christ Jesus our, our Savior give you grace and peace. Now look at what he says here. Verse 5. Again, I left you on the island of Crete so you could complete our work there. Now again, let's go back and remember. What was his title? He says, I'm a slave of God. What, what was he? What? He was an apostle. He was an apostle of Jesus Christ. And what did I tell you apostles do? They establish what? Churches, right? So he says, I left you, my son in the ministry, on the island of Crete so you could do what? Complete our work there. Because again, he's trying to establish a church. So in order to establish a church, he says, and appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. Okay? Because the church has to have spiritual oversight. You can't establish a church and just leave it to itself. You got to have spiritual oversight. Because people left to themselves will go buck wild. Do y'all understand that? You got to have spiritual leadership. It, it, it can't be just come as you go and do as you want to do and, and we just all come together one Sunday and then lift the hands a little bit and raise, praise the Lord and then we're going back about our business. That, that won't work. You need spiritual oversight. You need some eldership. You need some, 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 somebody who's going to help you when you don't even want to help yourself. Come on now. Have you ever been caught up in something you didn't really want to help yourself? You, you, were, you, were, you were enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season. Then that season was up, and man, that sin just wore you out. You look old, tired, wore out. Because sin will do that to you. It'll make you think it's the most pleasurable thing for a season, and then it'll come back and it'll just tear you apart. So, so again, when you look at this, I left you on the Isle of Crete so that you could complete our work there and appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. Look at the next verse. Come on, let's go. An elder must live a blameless life. Now, now what is he doing? He's giving qualifications for, for, for eldership. So when I'm, when, I'm, when I'm going through this, this passage in my personal time, then I, got to, I, I have to start looking and understanding who's writing. Tell, tell me. What was his position? Who's he writing it to? Who, what was their relationship? Spiritual son. So what was Titus assigned to do? Back up, back up, back up, back up. Uh, go, go to 
Yeah, yeah. I left you on the island of Crete so you could complete our work there. So he has an assignment from his apostolic authority, his spiritual father, to, to complete his work there, the establishment of the church on the island of Crete, and to appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. So as I'm going through the text, and as you go through the text, you got to ask these questions. I told you a good Bible study has to be nosy. You gotta be nosy. Some of y'all nosy naturally. You nosy about everybody's business. Get nosy about the Bible. Start asking questions about the Bible. Say, so, dude, look at here on the island of Crete. Let's keep keep reading. Keep reading. I told you you gotta be nosy, right? An elder must live what? Blame his wife. He must be what? Faithful to his wife, and his children must be what? Who don't have a reputation for being what? Wild and rebellious. Now, have y'all? How many times y'all seen preachers' kids be some of the worst ones in the church? I pray that mine ain't that way. I pray that in, in mine, in none of mine are in here tonight. <laughs> They're not perfect, neither am I, but I don't think they're wild and rebellious. You know, maybe at a time when they drifted away. But, 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 but my point is, it, especially if you got children that are coming up, I, I said this other night uh, at, at the revival, I said, you know, if, if children up under your tutorship they're stealing your house, they're minors, then it's something to be said when, you, when your minor children are wild and rebellious. The text says, if you're going to be an elder, your children can't be wild and rebellious. I didn't make it up, that's what it said. He must be faithful to his wife and his children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild and rebellious. For the elder must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker, violent, or dishonest with money. So what is he doing? He's giving us qualifications for the elders, for the spiritual leadership. Because what, what was he assigned to do? What, what, what did Paul give him Titus to do? To establish elders in every town. So if you're going to establish elders in every town, you need to know what the qualifications are. Correct? You got to know what the qualifications are. Come on, watch it. I like this. Look at this verse. Rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home. In other words, an elder got to be what? Hospitable. If you don't ever want nobody to come over your house, you, you can't be an elder. Is that what it says? I, I kind of put a little doology on that. But that's the, that's the gist of it. He says, rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home. Why would that be important? Why would that be important? Come on, come on, Bible studies. Why would that be important that he enjoy having guests in his home? Okay, you, okay, we live in church one way, but we go home is different. But so, but but I'm telling you, he said he must enjoy having guests in his home. Why is that important? Establishing relationship, right? And remember, a lot of times uh, when during this period of time, when traveling evangelists came to town, they stayed with people. They didn't have these hotels like we have them now. They had to come to your house. And then a lot of times teaching was done in homes. So that's why it was important that they enjoy, if you're going to be an elder, and you, we, we have them Bible said at your house, but now I got something to do. <laughs> you got to be available, right? If you're going to be an elder, right? It says, and he must love what is good. He must live wisely and be just. He must live a devout and disciplined life. Talking about spiritual leadership. He must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught. Then he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it where they are wrong. Now, again, all I'm doing, guys, is going through a process that I want you guys to begin to do 
All we're doing, we're not looking at any concordance or commentaries now. All we're doing is asking questions of the text so we can get proper interpretation and we'll use other scriptures to correlate what we just uh, affirm here in this text. Because scripture helps us interpret scripture, right? That's what correlation is all about so we can get understanding. All right? So it says, and able to encourage others with wholesome teaching. Wholesome teaching. Wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it what? If they oppose what? What is it? The wholesome teaching. Where they're wrong. Look at verse 10. Now watch this. Watch this. For they are not. Now watch what, watch what Paul does. Paul knew these folks because he'd, he'd been there and he left them there to establish it. But notice what Paul says about these folks from the Isle of Crete. He says, for there are many rebellious people who engage in what? Useless talk and deceive others. This is especially true of those who insist on circumcision for salvation. Now, now we get into, they had some Judaizers there. What are Judaizers, guys? Anybody? People who were mixing law and grace. Judaizers were those who were saying, okay, you got saved, but you still got to be circumcised. You got saved, but you still got to come to church on Saturday. You got saved, but you can't cut your hair. You got saved, you can't wear makeup. You got saved, you can't wear jewelry, yeah, yeah. Or, 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 or any number of things they were putting these restrictions on, but here specifically, they were talking about insisting on them being circumcised for salvation, which again, that's not true. Verse 11, come on, y'all, let's go. They must be silenced because they are turning whole families away from the truth by their false teaching, and they do it only for what? So now we see these false teachers are doing this for what? For monetary gain. See, it's, it's, it's sad when we have people in today's culture who will preach the gospel for monetary gain. That's their primary motivation. That's sad, okay? Uh, verse 12, come on, I got to get back. Every one of their own men, even one, even one of their own men, a prophet from Crete. Now, now, now he goes and he's affirming what he already told him, what he already knows, and he says, even one of their own prophets has said, what, what did he say about him? The people of Crete, all lies. Is that what it says? Come on, not this dude. Their own prophet coming down on them all. The people of Crete are all liars. They're cruel animals and they're lazy gluttons. Man, that's pretty rough. So, so guys, w when you're studying this, those are the kind of questions you got to ask of the text so you can get proper biblical understanding. Y'all with me? All right, so let's get back to our outline right quick, okay? So, uh, but, but context rules. So now that I got the context, who's right, who's he right to, what was the surrounding uh, scenario, what was the culture that day? What kind of people are you dealing with? It, it opens the eyes of my understanding of the biblical text because I took time to do due do, 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 do diligence and understand the context. So number two, principle number two, always seek the full counsel of the word of God. When you know God's word thoroughly, you will not accept a teaching simply because someone has used one or two isolated verses to support the teaching. Context rules, okay? Don't, 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 don't fall for that, okay? Are y'all with me? These verses could have been taken out of context or other important passages might have been overlooked or ignored. Passages that might have led to a different understanding. Always seek the full counsel of God. Everybody say the full counsel. All right, so as you read your Bible regularly, guys, and, and, and you dig deep 
and you become more familiar with the whole counsel of the word of God, you'll be able to discern whether a teaching is biblical or not. For, for example, go to, first, go to John 15 and 7. John 15 and 7. And you can just pop it up for sake of time. John 15 and 7. It says, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be what? It'll be granted. Now, let me ask you a question. Does that mean that I can ask for anything I want and it'll be granted to me? Well, that's what it said, though, didn't it? Oh, oh so, so what you're telling me is, so if I hear a preacher get up and say, all you got to do is ask, then you, you, you're going to dig a little deeper. You're going to say, there's some clarification, right? Because again, you, he says, you, the first part it says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. So if, his, if, if, if I remain in him and his words remain in, him, in, in me, that means that when it remain means that it is sufficiently planted in my heart because the psalmist said, thy word have I hid where? That I might not what? Sin against you. So I'm in him and his word is in me. And when his word is in me, that means his word is directing me. So if his word is in me, then that means that what I'm asking is going to be relegated or it's going to be bordered or it's going to be bound by the word that's in me. So that when I begin to ask something, it won't be something foolish because his word is in me and I'm in him. I can't do it. So the mindset that if, if I, I can ask whatever I will, that's, that's, you got to look at other passages of scripture. You got to look at what the Bible says in totality, okay? The Bible has a lot to say about prayer because again, uh, go to 1 John 5 and 14 right quick. And I'm going back to what Jerry just said, 1 John 5 and 14. Because again, that asking has some parameters around it. But if I only just took that one part, and I've heard guys preach it, and they, they only tell you, here's, here's the fallacy of the prosperity message. I believe in the prosperity of the believer. But how many of y'all remember those days when people were on TV? And you see less of it now, but they just blew the airways up, and they were telling you, Send your $200 seed and your blessing is going to come. Or even you, again, I told you, some of y'all don't, I, some of y'all have been protected for some of these services, but you have went to some of these services where they have these different lines, these blessing lines. Any of y'all have been to one of those services? Where they have you stand up and, and, and if you got $500, I, I, I've seen this. Some of y'all look at me like, what, y'all, what are you talking about, Pastor? Uh, I, I've seen it where, well, there's a spiritual manipulation that is taking place around the offering. And they manipulate people. And when they tell you to plant the seed, I don't have a problem with them telling you to plant the seed. The problem as I have is, is that they don't give you the other part of the story. And they leave you thinking that all that's necessary is for me to bring that $500 seed. Because the man of God has prophesied that in 10 days, that seed is going to come back three times over. And you go, woo! Know that check almost about to bounce. And you come and put it in the altar, in the offering, but he didn't give you the rest of the story. 
See, God has something to say about us counting up the cost and not overspending. Hello? What we're trying to do is look for a, a bailout because we've been irresponsible in a lot of cases. Come on now. We, hadn't, we, we, we haven't done it the way God says do it because we splurge on ourselves. And so when they teach that and don't balance it, that's the problem I have. God will bless. And the more you give, the more he gives back to you. But we got to understand it's also something that goes along with that. That's all I'm saying. Amen. And many times you're not told that because they're just trying to get you excited about giving the seed. They don't tell you about the other part of it. Ain't living right. Not being uh, wise in your spending. All those things that go along with that seed taking root and germinating. But look at what it says here. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that what pleases him. Go to, go to the KJV on that very same verse, guys, and i am got to get you out of here. All right, it says, and this is the confidence that we have what? In him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now watch that. So what that says is, if I ask anything according to his will, he hears us. What do we say in Psalm? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord what? Does not hear me. So, but if I ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Look at the next verse. It says what? And if we know that he hears us, so seem like to me the key is, Robert, is get him to hear us. Hear us means in agreement with us. So the only way, Brittany, God is going to be in agreement with me if, 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 is if I'm praying his will. And the only way I can be confident and sure that I'm praying his will is I got to be in his word. I got to pray his word. So if I know I'm praying his word, then I can have confidence that he hears me. He's in agreement with me. And if we know if he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. So we got, it's got to be according to his will, okay? All right. Get back. Get back to your outline. So, principle number three. Remember that scripture will never contradict scripture. Back, back page. Scripture will never contradict scripture. The best interpreter of scripture is scripture. Remember, all scripture is inspired by God. It is God-breathed. Therefore, scripture will never contradict itself. Because the author is the Holy Ghost. He knows what he said. <laughs> he knows what he said in Matthew, and he knows what he said in Revelation. He ain't confused. We confused. And many times we, we get off because we don't do our due diligence and search the scripture and allow the Holy Spirit to give us a revelation knowledge. So remember that scripture will never contradict scripture, okay? Um, the Bible contains all the truth we will ever need for any situation in life. Uh, look at 2 Peter 1 and 3 right quick. Pop that up and then we'll, we'll keep moving. And um, I'm, I'm going to stop on this one because my time is out and I'm trying to get more disciplined in Abiding by my time, okay? So the, the text says, according, let's, let's, start, let's start in verse number one. Verse number one. Start in verse one. We'll pick up next week, okay? Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Here we go. So who's, who, who's writing here? Who's writing? Come on, observation. What was, it, what was his uh, uh, title? Same as what? What does an apostle do? Okay, gotcha. Uh, so a servant, and I, I like the way Peter says it, 
in the way Paul said it. They said uh, a servant. Paul said, I'm a slave, doulamus. Doulos, the word doulos is slave, okay? He says, I'm a, I'm a servant or I'm a slave, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Christ Jesus. Verse 2, come on, let's go. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you, how? Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. How is grace and peace going to be multiplied? Through the knowledge of God and the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. So it's what it seems like to me is if I want grace and peace, I got to get some understanding and some knowledge about God. Because knowing God brings peace to me. It, it says grace and peace is multiplied. Not added, but it's multiplied. That means that uh, uh, three plus three is less than three times three, right? So when I know God, it's multiplied. It. It, it's, it's exponentially grown up in my life. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the laws of God and our Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 3 is, according as his divine power had given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that had called us to glory and virtue. Read that one from the New Living Translation. We're going to close out here, okay? Because principle number three is remember that scripture will never contradict scripture, Okay? Always remember that. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Stop right there. He's given us everything we need for living a godly life. Why do we say we can't live a godly life? Why do we say it's hard being a Christian? You ever heard somebody say that? Have you ever said that? Uh-huh. Why is it so hard being a Christian? Because of the flesh? Okay, I, I, I can go with that. But you know what? The text says God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. So if he's given me everything I need to live a godly life, then if I'm not living a godly life, then I got to look at myself as to why I'm not. He says, says, we have received all of this by what? Coming to know him. That word know is is a term of endearment. The word know there is is similar to the, not similar, it is the, the exact root word, that is used in Genesis when the Bible says Adam knew Eve and she conceived. In other words, when, when a man knew a woman, that means that he had sexual relationship with her, which, which implied that there was intimacy involved in the relationship. And so what the text says here is we have received all of this by coming to intimacy with God. Can I put it that way? To, we, we, we receive, he says, he says, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life we have received all of this, what? Everything we need to live a God life by coming to a point of intimacy with him. So sometimes we, we don't have everything we need because we don't know him like we say we know him. We don't know him like we sung about in the choir on Sunday. Because y'all know we can sing those songs, right? We don't really know him at the same level that we prayed about when we stood at, at the podium and open the service. We don't know him at the same level that we testified about when we got up in church. I want to thank the Lord for life, health, and strength. God has been so good to me, you know, and I, I, I've been serving the Lord all my days. No, you ain't. You just got saved three years ago. How you serving all your days? <laughs> so we get, guys, 
Look at this. And I, I got the clothes. I, I, see, these are the kind of questions we got to start asking ourselves. And when you start asking these questions, when you be nosy with the text, like you nosy in other people's business, then you get you you, you start to understand. Because here's here's the beauty of it, brother Danny. God wants us to know all about Him. He's just waiting for us to come and to investigate. Wisdom and knowledge, God will readily give it to us, but we got to pursue it. We want to come on a Wednesday night, uh, just on Sunday morning, and, 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 and know them that way. You can't really know somebody, really, until you spend some time with them. And you really can't know them unless you really live with them. Some of the people that live with you can probably tell me some stuff about you that it wouldn't really surprise you, but you, you know, I wouldn't know that you, you know that you you know talked that way or you acted that way. Come on now, is, is that right? How many of y'all live with somebody you can tell something if you had to? If you were brought before the court, you could tell some stuff that we'd be kind of surprised about, right? But really, we wouldn't be surprised because nothing is new in the sun, right? But let's watch it. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Now, again, we're asking questions of the text. We're in this mode here where we are trying to correlate the text. But again, these principles here will help us do that. God has given us everything we need to live a godly life, for living a godly life. We have received all of this, the things for living a godly life, by coming to know him. The root word know meaning intimacy. Same word used when Adam knew Eve and she conceived, okay? He says, we have received all this by coming to know him. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. So he called us unto himself by means, by way of his marvelous glory and excellence. And on Sunday morning, we're going to celebrate, amen, this marvelous glory and excellence the resurrected Savior. God called us to himself by sending his very best to die out on Golgotha's hill so that you and I could have the right to come into an intimate relationship with him. And when we get into that intimate relationship with him, then we have everything we need for living a godly life. So we got to ask those kind of questions, okay? All right, we'll pick up on next week. Give the Lord a hand of praise. God bless you.